How many people here have heard Peter, before, Peter speak before? Nice. Nice. All right, then. I don't really have to introduce him. Here comes Peter. Let's give him a hand. I thought Sean was Jewish. <clears throat> My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. <clears throat> first things first, uh, thank uh, James and Rachel uh, for having me back at one of their uh, groups. You guys do a lot of 12-step series. I think you're a huge credit to the community of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, putting speakers up here and giving a presentation about the book. Uh, it's not a workshop, but it's a, a presentation. Uh, my home group is a brand new group. <clears throat> one of the founding members, and we start this Thursday in Deerfield Beach. It's called the uh, Deerfield Beach Big Book Workshop Group, uh, 7.30 to 8.45, uh, where the Zion meeting uh, visit meets on Saturday night. So I'm excited about getting this off the ground and uh, uh, putting out a message from the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Mike and Joe will be our first speakers for four weeks, and uh, I just get excited about being around the Big Book and uh, like-minded folks. Um, not that I'm less excited being around Don't Drink and Go to Meetings folks because it's part of the sacred fellowship, but I get real excited. Uh, God has given me a great passion uh, to uh, seek my God, to seek him, to experience more of this book and get spiritual wings and give more away to the drunk who's still sick and suffering, which is why I'm here. Uh, my life is one of invitation. And I get these invitations often, and it's uh, part of the purpose God has me sober, uh, to go shout from the rooftops his name, his glory, uh, his forgiveness, his love, and his resurrection that we get to experience in the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and nothing less than that great fact. Because what Alcoholics Anonymous is about is about getting people who are broken like me and coming into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous where nothing else worked. Many of us sitting here had tried treatment centers only to relapse. And because I complete a treatment center doesn't mean I'm better. It just means I completed a treatment center. But I could be the same lunatic on the way out as on the way in. And some of us go to other extended care and some of us visit therapists and shrinks and all the things that are out there readily available to many of us, and they're all good. But something happens in the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous where we commence shoulder to shoulder, as our book says, upon a common journey. We suffer from a common problem and a common solution. A common problem is a booze problem, an alcohol problem. But we need to be really clear, had to get clear that alcohol is a symptom of a greater problem. And then we commence shoulder to shoulder, many of us, upon a common journey, which is God, that we get to the big book via the 12 steps. And something happens to me and something happens to us when we get lit up because of God. We're no longer the same. We have an internal reorganization that goes on that manifests out there. And the same drunk like me who walked in the door doesn't look like the drunk who's been around this Alcoholics Anonymous Fellowship and has gotten involved in the program and then passes it away in service. There's a difference between fellowship and program. There's three sides to our triangle, and I need to be part of all three. But something happened to me along the way. I came to a fellowship, found a program, and in sponsorship, give the whole thing away. And at the beginning, we can, I can be very uh, clear on the difference between the three. And then at some point, when we have the spiritual transformation, they all look the same. 
And whether I'm working or playing, you can't tell the difference. It's my beingness. It's our beingness. We do this for fun and for free. It's what we do. It's who we be now. And my doing comes from who I am on the inside, not what, looks, what I look like on the outside, not how nice I can speak, not how much etiquette I have, but what God has transformed for me on the inside. And then what I'm doing speaks so loud you can't hear a word I'm saying. No words are needed. No words are needed for any of us once we start to walk with the Spirit. The crackhead, the dope fiend, the drunk who's under a bridge in a crack house right now using has just as much God in him or her as we do tonight or I do tonight, or for that matter, the Pope in Rome. The difference is the integration with this power called God. We all have it. We're born with it. But at some point, we become what we become. We go sideways. And we have conflict and disease and discomfort, all the things that are there once we remove the drink. And I know for me, as long as I poured alcohol on my isms, it worked for a while. And then it didn't work anymore. I was experiencing threefold illness. And what do I do? And I come to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they tell me, get God. And I hit 95, driving 95. Where's God? I don't have to look out there for God. None of us have to look out there for God. All we have to do is go in. And that is much more difficult than looking for God in him or her or money or external conditions. Because we'll get a quick fix off of that. Will feel good for a while. Even the things that are detrimental to my life feel good for a little while. But we wake up the next morning with the emotional hangover saying, I did it again. Something drastic happens to us when we go in, and it is not an easy road. There's a squeezing that goes on. There's a breaking down of self. There's a destruction of the ego and all my self-centeredness. And most alkies and addicts hit the hills. They run. But those of us who are all in want to be journeymen where this is the last stop, we will do the work that's necessary out of the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. And at some point, for every one of us, a guaranteed spiritual transformation, and we no longer look or sound or be the same person anymore. But it's not on my terms. And one of the questions that was asked to me from the get-go, am I willing to live on terms other than my own? which is a drastic and revolutionary proposal for any alcoholic when it's always on my terms. I'm self-absorbed, self-seeking. It's all about me. Let's not talk about you. Let's talk about me. What do you think of me? That means that's how we operate, right? So it's about a selfless and a God-reliance life. That doesn't happen by just coming to AA meetings. It's one part of a three-sided triangle. I didn't know that when I got here. God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I say that because I am. And anything less than that great fact would be falsely humble. I don't say it to be unique or different or special. It's just my truth. And it ought to be the truth for everyone sitting in this room. If it isn't, the question is, why not? Am I subscribing to contemporary AA that tells me I'm always going to be recovering when my big book on the, cover, on the, uh, the title page says we've recovered? First promise in the book talks about we will re be recovered. Then it says we'll be get recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. But many of us settle for recovering. And I'm always going to be thinking about a drink. And we even hear things like, I never want to get recovered. That means I don't need AA. Do your investigation before you contempt. Because one of the great things our book promises us over and over and over is about getting recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So once we remove the alcohol, what do we got? Untreated alcoholism. 
and we're living all over page 52 and a lot of self-will and self-reliance and waiting for the meeting that's going to happen and light me up for good. It'll light me up, but not for good. A book talks about permanent recovery. Even though my condition is a day at a time, I live in 24-hour clips. That's what God gave me. But it's not about hanging in there anymore. It's about experiencing, which I'm in the path of on the journey of now, experiencing permanent recovery. My last drink ended June 23rd, 1988. That's when God removed me from alcohol. I didn't put the plug in a jug. I didn't make a firm, desire, a, 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 firm a, a powerful desire to stop. I didn't have a resolution anymore. I didn't say, well, maybe I can tweak it or I'm really done for now. God just removed it. And it came by way of me making a sincere plea to my God who I didn't know. We're about, many of us are about to step on a path we've never walked before. To a place we've never experienced before. And the directions that we've never read before. And the only thing that's going to light up the path is the, the fire that burns in every one of our hearts to get well. To experience God. And if I'm here for other reasons, trust me, if I don't turn to God, the illness will pull me right back. It's pursuing me. But the great thing is so is God. God is pursuing me as well as much as pursuing everyone in this room. God's pursuing us, begging for a relationship with every one of us. And most of us say, not today, because I got to do what I got to do. I want to be spiritual from 8 to 9 during James's meeting, but around 9.30, the horns come out and it's all over. And I won't tell my sponsor. What they don't know won't hurt them. This is an all-in journey. Drastic and revolutionary proposals. And if I have a reservation, because I went through this, if I have a reservation or lurking notion that somehow, someday, I'll be immune to booze, somehow, someday, I can control it and enjoy it, I'm still going to drink. I need to be, I had to be at the bitter end. I was actually pushed past the bitter end in, on June 23rd, 1988. It was the first time in my life that I didn't want to die. I wasn't thinking about not drinking. I wasn't thinking about Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't want to die. And I knew the next drink was going to kill me. Whether that was a fact or not, that's how it was presented to me. It was presented to me. The truth will be presented to us. It will show up. We can't deny truth. At some point, alcoholism will catch up to us and we'll be stuck, so, struck sober looking eyeball to eyeball with our own demons. We can duck and dive and run from the truth as long as we want. At some point, it will show up. And it could be on a 911 call, an emergency room, and a treatment center, or just walking into AA. It could be playing with our children. They look at us and say, what's wrong with you? The truth will always show up. What are we going to do about it? When the truth shows up, it is not pleasant. And we all know, whether we're sober for a long time or walking in here for the first time, we all know where we stand on the spiritual path. We all know when we're cutting corners. We all know when we're all in. We all know when we're worshiping God with every fiber of our being or just when it's convenient. Do I want to be the landlord of my own kingdom and only let the people in that are going to endorse my behavior say what I want them to say and have my own little clan and God lives on the outer fringes, and I pull God in, as the 12 and 12 says, like the pinch hitter, when it gets too hot. Then I recover, and I go back to doing what I'm doing. Or am I all in? 
Why do I come to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? There's a lot of other things we can be doing tonight. There's a lot of people here tonight. I'm sure there's a lot of nice things on TV and a lot of places we could be doing living in South Florida, but for some reason we were drawn to this meeting tonight. We keep going to AA meetings. There's a reason for it. There's a reason why I was born. There's a reason why God got me sober and waited for me to hit the better end like many of us until we get to the place where there's no reservation, no lurking notion, where our nails are dug into the edge of a cliff and there's nowhere else to go but to beg for help. And I say help, really, God's not a helper. We talk about I need God's help. It's like, God, I just need a little push and then back off. What I need is God's mercy and love. I surrender completely. You take over. And for many of us, we have to be driven to the bitter end where the next step is death. And those are just the way, that's just the way to go. Those are the spiritual laws. That's the way it is. And every one of us, whether it's Park Avenue, Park Bench, has been pushed to the brink. And what's sad is many in this room haven't been, haven't visited that yet. And many of us will drink again. There's a consideration. How many people in this room will be sober in a year from now? I work for a treatment center. I see people leaving, discharging. I know what to do. I'm ready to go. I know what I need to do. And two weeks later, they're back in our detox again. What happened? Came back with more arrows. I have to be all in. And that's, those are the conditions God gave me. And it was a bitter end. Uh, June 23, 1988, I had been through six treatment centers. I knew what alcoholism was. I knew about the body, mind, and spirit, but it didn't apply. There was still a reservation that somehow, someday, I can control this. I don't need to go to some of those many, any lengths that they were going to talk to me about in June of 88. I still had a reservation. I can do this on my own. I can play a little bit. Carlos always says, wiggle room. Got a little wiggle room. Wiggle room for an alcoholic means a death sentence. June of 88, there was no more wiggle room. And if there was, I didn't want it. Six treatment centers. Speakers would come in and talk about the message. I knew what I suffered from. And in six treatment centers, I lasted a total of two days sober. And that was after nine weeks being in my fifth treatment center. How's that possible? I went to treatment. Nine weeks in treatment. I look fabulous on the discharge. I look like a poster boy for, like, you know, L.A. Fitness on the way out. Bill says he inquired an impeccable coat of tan. I had the tan going. They took me to the gym. The girls in treatment. I was in love and treatment. That's always a good one for love and treatment. Everything is going to be great. Got discharged on a Saturday, and I was loaded on Monday. And the vicious cycle didn't stop because I went to treatment. Cunning, baffling, and powerful, and very patient. So why do I come to Alcoholics Anonymous? I get to come to Alcoholics Anonymous nowadays. Why are the rest of us here? We need to be here. I want to be here. I have to be here. I get to be here. Whatever category you fall into. But if we're here, what are we doing while we're here? Hanging around. Meeting makers get drunk. Meeting makers die. I know that's going to ruffle some feathers, but I'm here to speak truth. I've been given an invitation, and I'm going to speak truth because I won't lie to a drunk. Meeting makers don't make it. The real alcoholic will die on just making meetings. The dolphin will go get high on just making meetings because there's something lacking. And our big, in our big book, in chapter 4, it talks about lack of power is our dilemma. Lack of power is my dilemma. I don't have power. 
And I can't use self-will, a powerful desire, good intentions, uh, uh, positive affirmations, him, her, money, external conditions are a liability. They're not a remedy to what I suffer from. The only thing that's going to work for me is God, and that is inside the fellowship. It's called the program. So what are we doing while we're here? Do I have a life of desperation or inspiration? Do I have a life of daily acceptance and surrender or expectations and disappointment? Right? Am I always striving but never arriving? Right? Do I lead a life of quiet desperation, just waiting for something to happen out there so I feel good? Many of us have been around a while. Perhaps we're not thinking about the drink, but we're experiencing part of the second half of the first step, which is unmanageability, current unmanageability. I'll be devilments talk about that. Pray to misery and depression. Can't make a living. Full of fear. Feeling of uselessness. Trouble in personal relationships. Am I experiencing this regularly? Do I have dialogue of a thousand voices talking to me all the time? While this meeting's going on, you got one ear on me and the other ear on the other voices that are saying, when is this guy going to shut up? Why did I come here for? Right? She looks cute. I'll sponsor her right right after the meeting, right? <clears throat> My intentions are pure. I really want to help us find a spiritual path, right? <laughs> Guys, the old timers spot you 400 miles away, so just so you know that. Um, what's my current condition? And why the need for spiritual transformation? We hear it talked about in big book meetings. We hear some of old, old timers talk about the spiritual revolution. They had the spiritual awakening, the spiritual experience, the God moment that we continue to nurture and grow in understanding and effectiveness with, where God becomes the most important relationship in our life. And the same power that doesn't feel tangible at the beginning becomes very tangible when we're on the path. Right? Why the need for spiritual transformation? I was a chronic relapser. I was one of those guys that would bring drugs into a treatment center, one of those guys who AMA'd, one of those guys who despised the counselors, despised being in treatment, and hated my family for putting me in treatment. It was an injustice to me. And I thought people in Alcoholics Anonymous were lame and cowardly. I didn't like AA, and anyone who prayed was a coward. Men don't pray. Men don't need God. Men don't hit their knees and bow before something they can't see. You must be weak and cowardly. And God knew that and allowed me and stringed me along for a little while until I hit a wall after wall after wall, and the same God I cursed, I begged to. And he placed me in treatment uh, number seven and then put me in AA. And then I was given a mustard seed of willingness to seek out this power and go to the any and many lengths that are presented to me. Because I found out the hard way that just going to meetings, I still get loaded. If meeting makers make it, my big book, the first portion of my book, would have one page and it would say, make meetings. <laughs> it would be a pamphlet. <clears throat> and we wouldn't even read it anyway. <clears throat> I remember sitting in a meeting one time uh, and a guy says, no book is going to tell me how to get sober. So I raised my hand and I says, did you ever read it? He never called on me again. <laughs> Our book just wasn't invented. 
It came through the forging out in an anvil of pain and experience and suffering and inspiration. It's divinely inspired by our co-founders and our first 40 or so members had little influence in the book. So I don't get some of our meetings that we go to by loving people, I'm sure, who were sober a long time, who shoot the big book down, <clears throat> and yet claim to be upstanding members of a sacred fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous. Because when I shoot the big book down, <clears throat> I'm finding fault with Alcoholics Anonymous, God, and our founding members. Talk about hypocrisy. But Anthony DeMello once says, what I don't know I fear and what I fear I hate. And so what I need to do is shoot you down to raise myself up. Gossip about you to raise myself up. Have contempt pride investigation to raise myself up. Because I don't know what's in the book. And I see people getting better. And I start to get jealous. So I need to shut it down. <clears throat> and don't bring that stuff into my meeting. Yet it was the message that people get recovered with. The spiritual life makes absolutely no sense. Many of us shouldn't be sitting here tonight. I know I'm not supposed to be standing here based on my track record. Different speaker you should have presenting to you over the next 12 weeks. It makes no sense based on my track record, based on my homelessness, based on my arrests, based on my treatment centers, based on my attitude, and based on my design for living, which was upside down. I despised everything. How do I get here? My mind and my ego cannot wrap its arms around God, nor can it wrap its arms around the spiritual path. But we can experience it. I'll never understand God, but I certainly can have an experience with it. And I encourage everyone should be able to uh, uh, talk about God from a place of experience. And if you're not, nothing wrong, but why not get on a path? It's already been paved. It's already been laid out. It's just been covered with you. My path was covered with me and my stuff. And the 12 steps, 12 steps just kind of cleaned it off. And there it was, Shangri-La, working with strict spiritual disciplines of steps 10 and 11. I have a life of daily invitation. I get invited. My current uh, employer, bless his heart, invited me to work for him. I didn't send the resume out. <clears throat> I didn't say I'm going to do great things for you. I didn't say anything. I was called. And I answered the bell. And I moved from New Jersey to Florida, the place I'd been dreaming of living forever, but it was still a transition. Okay, be careful what you pray for. You just might get it. Next thing I'm on a plane with, you know, 14 pieces of luggage. 13 were filled with hair products, by the way. But <laughs> <coughs> um bump please. But I was invited. And I'm invited to AA. I'm invited to folks' uh, lives. I'm invited to sponsees' lives. A life of invitation. Thank you. I have a life of surrender. I surrender to my Heavenly Father every day. It's one of my prayers. I surrender to your will for me and the power to carry it out. Protect my soul from being poisoned and show me what relationships to have and how to have them. It's a constant surrender and a begging for mercy from my God, and I'm given mercy every day. That's how I got here. Because in mercy is love. Unconditional love from a loving God. The same person who scoffed at God, who condemned God, who criticized God, who hated God, has given mercy and love every day. And all I have to do is show up to the altar and say, I surrender again to you. And God gives me 24 hours more of sobriety on a path of permanent sobriety. That makes no sense to the mind. 
God doesn't care what I've done. I've done ugly things. Doesn't, God doesn't care what any of us have done. But I, I suit up and show up. And I surrender to this power. And I'm giving this. I'm giving utopia, as Bill Wilson called it. Thank you. So what is step one talking about? I've heard some crazy things over the years with step one. None of them are in the big book. Like I can't drink. Step one tells me I can't drink. For new people, step one doesn't say that. Step one says you're going to drink. It's a matter of time. Every one of us in this room, let's look at it this way. Everyone in this room, including me, is doomed to drink. I'm going to drink. That's what step one says. It says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. They're looking back on their experience. Powerless over alcohol means no power, choice, and control. I can't even stop it when I want it. I can't control it when I want to put a lid on it. It owns me. How do we get sober? We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Step one tells me, the drunk on page 21, the real alcoholic, that I'm drinking and my best intentions, my plans and designs mean nothing in the face of a tsunami. I know what I need to do is the alcoholic was my mantra to my graveyard. I don't know what I need to do. And that's a crushing of the ego when we get to a point we say, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. You're sober longer than me. What, do I, what are you doing? But don't expect to get the answer you want to hear because it's going to conflict with our plans and designs. When I was in treatment number seven, I was in there for uh, about 10 days or so. And they says, you need more treatment. And they says, we're going to send you to Minnesota. Vikings and it's cold. Why am I going there for? <laughs> and they didn't debate with me. They didn't say, let's talk. Let's process your feelings about going from, you know. <clears throat> let's have a little group on your feelings today. Going, You're going to Minnesota or you're homeless. I mean, that's what I was told. So I'm on a plane. I'm going to Minnesota. And I was out there for six weeks. I was waiting to get a graduate degree in addiction after six weeks of being in treatment. They said, oh, we're not done with you. You've got to go to a halfway house and a three-quarter house and a sober house. It was almost 11 months. And then the phone rang and said, if you like to come home, you can. And there were little, little uh, 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 pieces, little parts uh, uh, along the path, little hurdles that I thought it was good to go home. I would, thought I was good to go. And he says, not yet. And the difference between me in 1988 into 89 and the old one was, I says, okay, whatever you say, I'll do. I don't want to. I don't like what you're telling me, but I'm going to saddle up and ride with you because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. 25 years later, thank the good Lord, I am not running the show. I hope I never show up for the next 12 weeks for these talks. I don't want to be here. Let the spirit be here. Use me as a vessel. In fact, in all my affairs, I hope I don't show up. The body will show up. I hope I never show up again. Because that was starting to happen to me in 88 and 89. Where days become weeks and weeks became months. And months turned into my first year. Anytime I would show up, I would become restless, irritable, and discontented, wanting to run the show. I would get resentful and fearful, and there it went. And the only remedy for me was to drink again. The interesting thing about alcohol, alcoholism, it will not announce its arrival. There's a great story about Fred, not a cloud on the horizon, end of a perfect day. Everything looked great to Fred that day, and he got drunk that night. Alcoholism's not going to knock on the door and say, Pete, listen, tomorrow morning I'm going to wreck your life. Get ready. <clears throat> Do 90 and 90 before I show up, you know. Call your sponsor. 
I'm still looking through my big book to find 90 meetings in 90 days. It's not there. Some treatment center genius must have put that one out. You know how many people have died on that one? Right? I stopped challenging. So step one tells me I admitted, I admitted I'm powerless over alcohol. That has to come from experience. People can talk to me about that on treatment center day number one or my first day in AA or many years being in AA until I get it at a gut level, not an intellectual level, but at a gut level, a cellular level. When I hear I'm powerless over alcohol, experience, I can look back and say, yep. As long as I tried to run the show, I got drunk. If I tried to control and enjoy it, it never happened. I can't control the stopping. I can't control the starting. I just know I'm going to drink, and I don't even know what the day is going to look like when the drink shows up, but it takes me. There's no such thing for me as having one or two and going home. This thing is so tricky. I'd bottom out. If I was to pick up a drink tonight, I'm in a dumpster tomorrow morning. My, my bottoms are immediate and, and, and severe. But some of us, and this is the, how it tricks us, we can go to the bar tonight, have a beer or two, and go home. And say, that guy Peter's nuts. AA's crazy. Look, I had two drinks and went home. And then we go back to the bar tomorrow, have two drinks and go home. And we do it the third night. We say, this is pretty good. Something happens in the fourth night where they pull us out of a, a crack house or an after-hours joint or in a precinct. What changed? The fuse was lit. It's just a matter of when boom happens. Because I suffer from a mental obsession, a phenomenal call craving, and a spiritual malady. And the interesting thing is that the body gets better first. And that's the trickster. We get the tan, we work out, we get a little relationship, get some money, and we think we're good to go. And the illness is saying, keep going. I got all the time in the world. I have a mind, and step one tells me, powerless over alcohol, that'll take me back to that which is killing me. My mind will take me back to that which is killing me. And before a drink, it'll take me on a spree. It'll take me on a fear spree, a sex spree, a food spree, a dishonesty spree, a thinking spree, a spree, just something that I can get some sort of ease and comfort temporarily because I can't deal with the present moment. In fact, the present moment is an inconvenience. It's in the way. And my mind wants no part of it because only in the present moment can I experience my God. I can't experience God before. I can't experience God an hour from now. Only in this breath can I experience God. So I need something to do with this moment because I'm uncomfortable. I'm in fear. I'm thinking. And as long as I'm thinking, I'm in fear. And if I'm in fear, I'm in self-reliance. And if I'm in self-reliance, I have current agnosticism, which means my life's unmanageable at this moment. I need a drink. I need a double. I need a drink. Got to do something. Work's getting to me. The relationship's getting to me. The money's getting to me. What I do is getting to me. I just need something. So here comes a little sex spree. There's pleasure in that. And then there's the hangover. I need to go gambling. There's some pleasure in that. Then comes the hangover. The illness is the illness. It'll wear a mask. All coming from the predator. The thing that's pursuing me. Alcohol is not a problem. There's people drinking right now. Alcohol is not a problem. It's a symptom of a greater problem, starting with my thinking mind. In, in our book, it says the main problem for the alcoholic me centers in the mind rather than in the body. The body reacts to whatever the mind tells it to do. If I want to have a glass of water, my mind says, we're thirsty. I pick it up and drink it. I need a drink. I pick up and I drink. All actions born in thought. 
I can't treat the mind. I found out this the hard way. I can't treat the mind by coming just to an AA meeting because the mind walks in and then the mind walks out. And it'll wait for an hour to get me on hour two. Hour after the meeting, let's have a drink now. Let's celebrate the fact that I went to an AA meeting. <laughs> I'll drink to that. <clears throat> Where did Esprit start from? My plans and designs, my trying to arrange the outside world, my brokenness, my incompleteness, my uh, lack of dependence upon God, using something else to fix me, defects of character are running wild. If I don't know what my defects of character are, all we have to do is look at our behavior. We'll know what our defects of character are. I can't fix my defects of character by just showing up in a meeting and, and, and positive affirmations trying to fix my defects of character, trying to fix my alcoholism on my own powers, like trying to swim in the mud, make an attempt, not going anywhere. The needed power wasn't there. My predator is a thinking mind. It'll take me back to that which is killing me. It'll give me permission to go on a spree, and it'll always tell me what it's going to do for me, never to me. It never talks about the consequences. It doesn't say jail institutions and possibly die. It says, she looks good, have a double. It won't hurt you. A little marijuana maintenance. I'm not doing the hard stuff. Anything to trickle me back to a drink or a drug. Some of us around here, I experienced this. Brief moment of this during my first six months, going to meetings and starting off like gangbusters, praying and meditating, and I had other interests now. I had to do other things. Praying and meditating was boring. I needed some juice. I needed some excitement. God is boring. Talking about spiritual things doesn't interest me. I'm starting to go sideways, waiting to pick up a drink. That's current unmanageability. Remove a drink from me, and I don't get God. I'm dangerous. I'm more dangerous sober than I was drunk. Predictable when I'm drunk. I'm predictable when I'm sober without God. And all we have to do is look in the mirror. My first sponsor told me, look in the mirror, because the guy looking back is not going to lie to you. June 23rd, 19, I remember this. The dialogue changed and I got rescued. We get rescued. We like to think we quit drinking or put the plug in a jug or made an attempt for sobriety. It was done for me. June 23rd, 1988, I was rescued by a loving God who said, enough, I have other work for you to do. And the dialogue changes for us out there when we're using and in here when we bottom out. The dialogue changes. And that's that quiet voice that we're not used to hearing that says, take this direction, make this phone call, get that sponsor. <clears throat> it's a different voice. And at that point, we're out of our minds like I was on June 23rd, 19th. I was completely out of my mind. And I've shared this from a million podiums. I hope to always stay out of my mind. I never want it showing up again. I don't get why we tell new people, bring the body and the mind to follow. Why do I want a newcomer's mind showing up anywhere in South Florida? <clears throat> and I don't mean that as an insult. But it's the truth. You don't want my mind showing up. Can't think the drink through if I'm a real alcoholic. Page 24 tells me I can't. I can't remember where I come from. My book tells me I can't. I can't keep it green. My book tells me I can't. Because all of that stuff is self-reliance coming from the same mind that created the problem in the first place. I can't solve a problem on the same level of consciousness that created it in the first place. I'm using a sick mind to fix a sick mind. Good luck. 
How come we don't tell a newcomer when they walk in, get God now, I'll show you. I got a big book, let's start now. And if they're serious, if they're rolling, it's okay, what do I do? I'm ready to take a, take a walk along these drastic and rev revolutionary proposals because it's better than what I was doing. That's what happened to me in June of 88. So we got, I got this predator called the thinking mind. Wants to take me back to that which is killing me. My mind convinces me to pick up a drink. No one else does. It makes no sense what I was doing. Treatment center after treatment center after treatment center. Lasting a total of two days in six treatment centers with sobriety. I leave and get, go right to the liquor store. I had a young lady bring drugs in. I'm in the treatment center. Bring drugs in, honey. It's tough in here. <laughs> and she did. <clears throat> right? And I would take people. My illness would take me and other people along for this ride to hell. And then my body picks up. And it reacts a funny way. It reacts with an allergy, an abnormal reaction to what civilians do. There are people drinking tonight. They'll get up and go to work tomorrow, maybe even have a hangover, and not drink until they want to go drink and stop when they think they need to stop. If I drink tonight, I have no idea what's going to happen to me. I don't know when I'm going to stop or where I'm going to land. And I don't know when I'm going to start up again. My craving for an alcoholic is always intensified, never satisfied. The craving is always intensified, never satisfied. And I get bookended between the phenomenon called craving and the obsession of the mind. And I'm dead. It owns me. And positive affirmations, remember where I'm coming from, and all the things, the nice things that were told in some of our contemporary AA, perhaps some art therapist, maybe in a treatment center, does not work. Not for the real alcohol, because I tried that. I subscribed to that and kept getting drunk. <clears throat> God could and would if he was sought. The power that's going to relieve me of this alcoholism and get me free is standing with me at every moment, even when I was sucking on a pint of blackberry brandy. There's nowhere to search but in, but I need to be convinced at a gut level, not by people pointing fingers at me, you have a problem, you need to get help. And it took what it took. <clears throat> My God has pushed me, not only when I was out there, but in sobriety to the bitter end to get my attention. <clears throat> to get my attention even in sobriety. So I'm all ears and all eyes on my God. And so he can give me directions to follow. Sometimes those directions came by way of a sponsor, perhaps another AA member, but I was glued in on what's the information that I have to do. I am not running the show. I can't cut corners. Not if I want to get recovered and experience God. It's an interesting thing that happens with God. Once we get a little bit of God, we want a lot more God. We like the effect produced by God. If I don't like the effect produced by God, I will look for another effect produced by booze. If I'm restless, ill, and discontented while I'm sober, I will go on a spree to, to remedy the restlessness, irritability, and discontentment. I've experienced that my first six months in Alcoholics Anonymous going to meetings, starting to go sideways, and looking for things to fix me. Her, money, a job, property, prestige, something. And in my nothingness, as I am now, in the raw, in nothingness, I experience God. In my humility that we get to experience, we ask for nothing and experience everything. And in my greed and my self-centered way, my self-seeking ways, I want it all. And I walk away empty-handed all the time. <clears throat> it's
It's about a stripping down in the raw before my creator. And drugs and alcohol will do that. So when the door opens, am I going to walk through? Not with a reservation, not with a lurking notion. I will burn out. I will get bored. When this is the last house on the block, I will make it work. I will do what I have to do. I will scratch and claw to get to this God. <clears throat> we admitted we palace over alcohol. Lives had become unmanageable. Second half of the first step is interesting. My first step tells me I can't drink. I mean, I, I'm going to drink. Not that I can't drink. I'm drink. Peter Marinelli, you're drinking until you die. And there is no way out. That's part of the unmanageability in the second half of the first step. Now, I was homeless. I was panhandling. I had six treatment centers behind me. I was unemployable. My family locked doors. <clears throat> I was one of those bums who walked in the street. I'm 28 years old. I'm wearing the same clothes for weeks. I'm about 50 pounds less than I weigh now. I was urinating blood. My gums were bleeding. I looked like a picture of death. That's not for shock, though. That's where I was. I was in serious, serious trouble. A blind man can say, Pete Marinelli, your life's unmanageable. You're in serious trouble. But I'll get recovered. I'll get fixed. I'll get recovered from that. Get some, hydrate me, feed me up, put me in a treatment center, and my body will start to get better. Take a shower. I'll start to look clean. That bounces back right away. The unmanageability our book is talking about, that they're talking about in step one, is underneath. The, the essence of that is still going back and drinking again, even with a powerful desire saying, I'm not going back anymore, when I still go back to that which is killing me. That's unmanageability. Sitting in a meeting of AA, get my 90-day chip, get my one-year chip, get my five-year chip, and get loaded a week later. Sitting in a meeting and leaving, getting drunk right after the meeting, that's unmanageability because that wasn't the plan. Most of us who relapsed, that wasn't the plan. Some of us premeditated. I'm going. But a lot of us are on the way home and the car makes a turn when we didn't plan that. You know, the car just drives itself down Dixie. Let me just see what the guys are doing tonight. I want to show my drug dealer my 90-day chip. <clears throat> Flacco and Papa were always impressed with the chips, right? <clears throat> You know Flacco, too? Yeah. <laughs> Knew you looked suspicious on the way in. <clears throat> Unmanageability. Not knowing what the day is going to look like when it calls me and I, 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 it owns me. I go drink again. That's the essence of the second half of the first step, unmanageability. So what happens when <clears throat> I'm going to meetings, I'm getting my little chips, right? And not a chip, but I'm getting my chips. And I got a 90-day chip. I got a six-month chip, and I'm working. And I'm showing up for work every day, and I'm starting to look good. I'm starting to look sober. And I get a little relationship. I got some money. Get a little car. Nowadays, everyone, the cell phone is a new Jesus. Everyone needs a phone. Need a phone. People in treatment centers come in. They got 65 treatment centers behind them, right? They've been homeless. They've been living in, in the street, in hallways. They come into treatment for 15 minutes. They need a phone. I'm saying, who's call who are you calling? <laughs> Why, well, I, I got appointments I need to keep. <laughs> a quick story. I'm talking to a guy who's in a detox. He's got 75 treatment centers. He's busted from head to toe. And he doesn't want to go to treatment because he's got to, and I quote, move money around. He can't spend time in treatment. <laughs> what money? 
got, I got things to do. I got... When they used to tell me, Pete, you're going to go to treatment, I would say, right, give me a couple of days. I've got to figure a few things out first. Right. But that's all coming from the mind. Still willing, wanting to run the show. And unmanageability tells me I can't because I'm going to drink again. I do sometimes these groups at work, and I tell the gentleman, everyone in this room is going to relapse. Every one of you in this room is going to relapse. And they look at me like a deer in the headlights. As everyone's going to relapse. Might as well get over now. Leave after this group. Go get drunk. Get your last load on because you're going to drink anyway. And what do you mean? Are you an alcoholic? Yeah. You have a relationship with God? Well, that means you're going to drink. <laughs> it's the spiritual airbag, God, that protects me from me because I'm my greatest enemy. I admitted I was powerless over alcohol. Life had become unmanageable. Step one tells me I'm drinking. 43 pages in my big book, and we can take pieces out of doctor's opinion that talk about step one. In fact, chapter three says more about alcoholism. So if I didn't get it, chapter three says more about alcoholism, and it focuses specifically, pages 23 to 43, on the mind, because that's the predator. No one's going to pour a drink down me tonight. No one's going to give me a shot of dope. No one's going to give us a substance but me. My mind says, go do it, and it owns me, and I go do it. There's no God in that equation as long as I'm running the show. That's real unmanageability. If I'm a real alcoholic, I can't just depend on external conditions. Page 34 talks about this, that I need a spiritual path or else. God is God. Some old-timers, some people have been in this, in this book a while, are convinced that God's sitting with them, convinced that God drives home with them, convinced of God in everyone and everything. Then we get new people who it's not tangible, but as long as you're willing, we're all in the same pool of water. You're paddling, I'm the lifeguard. We're in the same water. If I go down, I'm grabbing onto you and vice versa. It's the same water. Do I have a willingness to go to any lengths? And we know that to ourselves, really, all alone, in the quiet, when I look in the mirror, am I really willing to go to any lengths? Because if I'm not, I'm not done. And those are just the cold facts about addiction and alcoholism. We can skate along a while, like when you throw a pebble on the pond, it skips, it skips, it skips, and eventually it falls. We'll skip along for a little bit because the illness is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and it's also patient. It'll endorse my unspiritual behavior and make it sound very spiritual. Justify the inappropriate behavior and make it appropriate. It's all coming from this sick and distorted place called my thinking mind. The difference about being on a spiritual path, I don't hook into the thoughts. We kind of detach from them. We seem to observe them rather than hooking into them. The sense of who I be does not come from my thinking mind nor from thought. It comes from a relationship with God. And that looks dra drastically different from the guy who walked into AA in 1988, who had no meeting etiquette, had no social etiquette, had no etiquette, had no de design for living other than I knew how to get drunk. And whatever happens, happens. That was the life. But it wasn't a life. What has happened because of this power called God from having a life that's unmanageable and no power choice or control before I pick up a drink and no power choice control after I picked up a drink, I got a design for living that works. 
I have structure. I have integrity, not by me, but given to me by God. The channel's been opened. It's been unclogged, and I can receive this power and give it all the way. And it seems the more I give away, the more my Heavenly Father replenishes me with. That's the great thing about being on this path. I don't have to worry about when's the next one coming. It's on its way. There's an unlimited supply with God, but I must not waver. If I'm in step one and wavering, I'm double-minded. Unmanageability comes from a state of consciousness generated by my effort to live life on self-will, and the external world owns me. I live a life along uh, uh, lines of human consciousness, which looks like my first step. I want, I need, I got to have, give me more. You need to be quiet. You need to speak up. You need to speak up. You need to be quiet. Love me more. Love me less. It just goes on and on and on. Or I can live along the lines of spiritual path. God consciousness. I don't need anything. My wants get in the way. All coming from my, I don't need anything. Don't need anything. In fact, at the end of the day, we don't need anyone. We like people around us. Bill called it the herd instinct. But if I walk with my Heavenly Father, I don't need anything or anyone. I'm okay with the no-thingness of this moment, and I'm fine because I got God. And that allows me to have a life of invitation. People suddenly invite you into their life because I'm not looking to get anything from you. I'm not looking for attention. I'm not, I don't need money. I don't need positive affirmation. You invite me in as I am as broken as I am. What a good deal, which is what AA is, a room full of broken toys. Nothing works for me. I couldn't live life on life's terms. I don't live life on life's terms. I hope to never live life on life's terms. Live life on God's terms, simple and easy and open. Room full of broken toys. And somehow with the touch of God's hand, little by slowly we're put back together. And spiritually pristine with great integrity. And the self-seeking person is no longer self-seeking. Minute Rapalis over how call my life had become unmanageable. Step one tells you I'm going to drink. Where do I go from here? If step one paints me into a corner with 43 pages plus doctor's opinion, slams me into a corner with no way out, which is what they're trying to do. The book is aimed at spirit, not at the mind. The book is full of promises and warnings. And a bunch of considerations, 43 pages, drive me into a corner where it appears there's no way out. I am screwed here. They're telling me after 43 pages, no matter what I do, I'm going to drink and die. Now what? And then they introduce us to a solution in step two. God couldn't with a fee was sought. Am I seeking? And we're out of time. That's all I got.